Hello, hello, and welcome to the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. I am your guest host today, Michael Kernodal, and uh, today's educator is Alejandro Arenas, and the topic is listening across the stage, a bass player's perspective. Wow, I'm so excited about this session today. I just want to remind everyone, as you come in and you join us, uh, you're going to be muted, but we want your feedback. We want your questions. So uh, just go into that chat feature, type in any questions you may have. Uh, we will love to reserve some time at the end to answer any of those questions. And don't forget, if you enjoyed today's sessions, there's more upcoming free sessions coming up, and it'll be posted at www.clearwaterjazz.com slash education. Uh, your feedback, very, very much needed. We will love to hear it. Just email us at info at clearwaterjazz.com. Also, be sure to check out the studio archives of past video sessions at clearwaterjazz.com's education and outreach section. This is brought to you by Blue Water Wealth Management at Stewart Partners and Duke Energy, as well as our Young Line podcast available wherever you stream. And that's going to be brought to you by our friends over there at Marine Max Clearwater. Just search Young Lions Jazz Master Verse Virtual Sessions wherever you stream. So we're in for a treat today. Alejandro, I, you probably have heard some of his past sessions. I'm just going to give you a few. And if you want to check them out, go back in the archives and, and, and take a listen. He did one called Bass Styles, an approach to playing swing, funk, and more. Uh, here was a good one. Musical composition, approaches and ideas, part one and part two. And of course, we love all of his What I Love About series. You know, he talked about Oscar Pettiford, uh, Wilbur Ware, John Patitucci. I mean, the, the, the names just go on and on and on. So uh, before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Alejandro. He was born in Colombia, where he started his musical career playing flamenco and classical guitar. Uh, he picked up the bass while he attended college in Bogota, where he performed in a salsa and Andean music ensembles, as well as the school's orchestra. You know, upon graduating high school, he moved to Gainesville, Florida. Uh, he worked there, he freelanced, and he also, he played different genres of music, reggae, jazz, and funk. And I love what I hear him play. I hear all of those genres in there. Uh, he earned his AA in music studies from Santa Fe Community College. Uh, also, he holds a bachelor's in music and jazz performance and a master's of music from the University of South Florida, USF, go Bulls. During the studies at USF, he toured Italy, France, Germany uh, with the Jazz Ensemble One and various ensembles. In addition to being adjunct professor at the, for the Mirror Program at St. Petersburg College, Alejandro is very active and a versatile performer working with many artists. And get this, he also co-leads an award-winning group called what? La Lucha. So enough from me. I know you're excited to hear more. So Alejandro, the stage is all yours. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, well, I'll get started right away. I'm going to share this uh, PowerPoint here with you guys. Sorry, there's not a lot of like uh, super cool videos and stuff like that. There's going to be a little bit of talking, but <laughs> um, it, it'll be very useful information. So, 
I'm going to be talking today about listening across the stage, a bass player's perspective to interacting, accompanying and driving the band. So the reason I called it listening across the stage is because that's kind of when you're on the stage, that's kind of how you listen. Uh, this class is basically about listening to each other in the band and being able to play together as a band, but also which is just an essential part of playing jazz, you know, being able to listen to each other and how you can interact, fulfill your role as an accompanying instrument and drive the band. So I'm going to break this down into basically those three concepts. So let's look a little bit of why I called it this specifically. So um, let's talk about the role of the bass first you know it's important to understand what the bass does this is you know this may be uh kind of a you know this has been covered a lot but i think it's worth exploring again because the role of the bass as the instrument has become more um technically proficient or players have become more technically proficient and also technology has allowed the instrument to be heard more uh, you can you know, when we think of an accompanying or accompaniment instrument, usually we think of the guitar or the piano, um, which is cool because they can play the harmony, you know, they can play chords and stuff like that. Now, the bass is actually playing the foundation of those chords, and it can also arpeggiate uh, some of those chords. So it can also be considered an accompaniment instrument. I actually have a, a, a dual project with a singer, um, where I do a lot of that. It's just bass and singer, uh, bass and voice. Uh, there's a lot of famous uh, trios that didn't include um, a piano or a harmonic instrument. Uh, Sonny Rollins uh, did that. I covered some of that actually in one of the What I Love About Wilburware. Um, so the bass, you know, has come to the forefront as being not just kind of relegated to playing roots and fifths, but it's also a highly... Um, functional instrument in terms of being able to outline harmony and being able to play rhythm. So that's basically, if we're going to, if we're going to define the role of the bass, it's kind of uh, the glue between the drums or rhythm and the piano slash guitar, the, the chordal instrument. Um, of course, it is a melodic instrument, but that's basically what it's doing. It's kind of in the middle. So, you know, when the bass plays the root, it's actually providing the context in which the harmony will be presented. So in other words, just to get a little bit into a little bit of theory, you know, if you play a C major chord <clears throat> the bass plays a C, that's a C major. But if the bass would play an A, now you're kind of getting an A minor um, sound. So the bass has that power. The bass is a very powerful instrument. Um, so Speaking of this, due to this foundational rhythmic role, the bass can drive the band. So usually when we think of driving the band, you know, I kind of think pushing forward. I'm just thinking more of like providing a foundation, you know, it, it, providing kind of a, a cushion for everybody to be able to lie on or stand on on firm ground. So that's kind of what the bass really is doing when you think specifically thinking about swing, uh, the bass is just going to play quarter notes almost exclusively. So thinking rhythmically, that's kind of the most basic thing you can have, the most grounded rhythm you can have. Um, so 
that foundation is being put there. Obviously, it, it works with with the with the drums and it works with the piano. It's all it's all a team effort, which I'll talk about a little bit ahead. But specifically from the from the if if you're playing the bass along with a, another melodic instrument, the bass is the one that's going to provide that foundation. Um, so you could also be driving the band. You know, a, a great example of somebody that drove the band really well and forward uh, with the bass was Ray Brown, who I also talked about in one of the What I Love About. I uh, broke down his style a little bit more <clears throat> about his uh, approach to playing time. Um, so that's kind of what I refer to when I say drive the band. And, you know, the foundation doesn't have to be a monolith. It doesn't have to be a, a, a static thing. So the bass can be can interact very effectively with all of the other instrument without instruments without abandoning its role. Um, this is very important because this is really kind of how a more, I don't want to use, I, I use the modern term, you know, kind of like you had people like Scott LaFarge who really broke away from that traditional role of playing the root and all of that, but that's not the only way to interact. I'll, I'll dive a little bit deeper into this, but basically, the idea to connect all of this is that how do you fulfill your role as a bass player while being creative, while complementing, you know, there's a, there's a, a term I like, which is comping, you know, when we talk about the piano or the drums, the snare specifically in jazz, a lot of times we talk about comping, which is the way somebody put it very nicely actually Jack Wilkins my professor at USF he said it's like an, a, a mixture the word is kind of a mixture between accompanying and complementing um, so that's basically it so I'll, I'll dive a little bit more into that type of stuff but uh, the bass can really do this as well so one thing that's really important is that jazz is a style that is rooted in a long tradition and understanding its rhythmic melodic and harmonic vocabulary is essential for a cohesive informational performance uh, you know, obviously, when we talk about jazz, we're talking about improvisation, and you know, improvisation is is kind of a a, a a a term that can have. True improvisation is when you're doing something that you've never really done before, and you're just doing it in the moment. You know, it, when we talk about jazz, there's stuff that we've practiced, but we're putting it together in an improvisational manner. You know, we've practiced our scales, we've practiced a lot of licks, whatever it is, you know but we are putting it together in an improvisational matter. It's more of like the, the bigger picture of it than thinking, oh, every note is created in the moment and stuff like that, although you can do that as well. Um, and additionally, knowing the role of each instrument in the band and being able to listen to each other uh, really more intently than yourself will make for a much more enjoyable experience for the audience and the musicians. So let's dive in a little bit into this. So. Let's think of situations when you're on the stage playing with other musicians, right? Because this is about listening across the stage. So you're on the stage, we're not really necessarily talking about, you know, this can be applied to rehearsals and stuff like that, but let's say you're in a gig. So this has happened many times, you know, because of the nature of jazz, a lot of times I'll get a call from somebody who'll say like, hey, I need a bass player for tonight, you know, playing with three people I have never met in my life. And so inevitably at some point you're going to find yourself in some of these situations. So what if I don't know the tune that's called, you know, so knowing a lot of repertoire is essential to being a jazz musician, but inevitably 
we won't know all the tunes. You know, there's especially if you're playing with 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 people that have been playing longer than you have. Um, chances are they'll know more repertoire than you do. So the good news is that there's within jazz there's certain predictable patterns. When you when you think of jazz, let's let's put it in a very simple way. You know, you have a structure of a song, which is the melody. It follows the melody. You play that structure as the head in or melody in. Then you improvise over that same structure. So that same structure is going to repeat over and over and over throughout the tune. And then you play the head out, the melody out, and that's the end of the tune. You make up an ending or there's an ending. Some, some songs have endings written into them that you play. So now, but what if, if you don't know all that stuff? So th let's li listen for the familiar chord progression. So a lot of chord progressions just work very efficiently. That's why in pop music you hear a lot of the same chord progressions because they work very well. Um, and those that repetition also exists in jazz. You know, there's there's a lot of familiar chord progressions. If you think, um, you know, Girl from Ipanema, two two songs that are very very different. You know, Girl from Ipanema and Take the A Train. They both kind of have the same two first uh, four bars, if you want to think about it that way. Um, and there's a lot of the you know, one six two five chord progressions. There's obviously you know the two five one, which is everywhere in jazz. Um, so a lot of the times, even if you don't know the tune, you'll be able to kind of tell what's coming next. So another option you have is look for someone, uh, look for help from someone on the stage that knows the tune. You know, I've been in situations where I'll just, before we start a tune, I'll look at the piano player and be like, hey man, I'm not that familiar with this tune, help me out. So this is, I'm going to dig in more into this. I'm, I'm actually doing another masterclass about repertoire and, and learning tunes um, in a few weeks, but <clears throat> a good kind of shortcut, not shortcut, but a, a good kind of way to approach this is listen for the familiar places. When you're learning a new tune, listen for the stuff that's familiar, repeated chord progressions, and kind of pinpoint the things where that are a little bit different about the tune. So where does it go where you don't expect it to go? You know, a lot of times that happens in, in ballads, for example. Uh, there's modulations to a different key on the bridge of a, of a lot of ballads. Um, you know, Body and Soul, a, a good example of that. You know, again, I would play a lot of these, a, a lot of these examples, but it would take me four hours to get through the masterclass. So uh, check, check those out, you know, make notes of some of the tunes that I mentioned. Um, so, you know, listening for those things where things are a little bit different is good to know. So if somebody's helping you out or if you're helping somebody out, be aware of those things to kind of anticipate, okay, this tune has a weird section, you know, the fifth bar of the A section goes to a different chord that you would expect. So maybe give a heads up to the person that's trying to look for you for help. Sometimes I've been in gigs where the drummer will be calling out chord changes out for me because they, they've learned a tune. They may play piano, they may play bass too. Um, so you never know who can help you, you know, but it's okay. You know, you can fake your way through, through a tune. It happens a lot more than you think. But this brings me to the next point. Don't sacrifice the time for the right notes. So yes, you may be not be nailing the changes, but you've got to nail the time. That's what's going to hold it all together. If you're kind of fishing for notes and trying to figure out what's going on, you know, 
the times is going to suffer. You know, there's going to be a delay between what you're thinking and trying to find that note. So time needs to go on, you know, so you can't sacrifice, you know, I can guarantee you most bands will be happy with you playing the wrong chord changes then we'll be happier with you doing that than with you playing with bad time or dragging or or just going all over the place so you know when when if you find yourself in that situation just stay solid with the time um and most importantly make a note to learn the tune for the next time that's a great way to learn repertoire that you're not familiar with you go to a gig somebody calls a tune you don't know you get your butt kicked <laughs> hopefully not and um then you just make a note, say, okay, I'm going to learn this tune for the next time. Uh, I've been there many times and that's how I, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to have been able to be on stage learning tunes. Now, that sounds kind of like a nightmare because you want to go to sta on a stage and know every tune. But what I say that I've been lucky is because, one, I have found musicians that have helped me out through that. Um, your ears are really open in situations like that. So you're actually absorbing a lot more than you think you are at that moment. You're, you're listening very intently. If you're just sitting at home, listening to a recording, you may space out or something like that. So a lot of the times learning music, learning songs on a stage is really good. I highly recommend you actually trying to sometimes avoid like the real book or, 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 you know, iReal Pro any of those changes sometimes you that's how you're going to start hearing those chord progressions but you know if you're an advanced player you will already know that so uh let's move on so time what if the time is not happening time this is probably one of the more talked about controversial things <laughs> what is good time who is truly responsible for the time so i remember when i first went to college i found this issue where people would be pointing at me like you are responsible for the time and then i would be like but the drummer's dragging like yeah you gotta you gotta drag him along with you it's like no it shouldn't be that way well but it's not ideal but it's gonna happen the reality is that everybody should be responsible for the time everybody should be working on having good time and playing in good with good time now inevitably we're human right and bad time is going to happen or let's not call it bad time let's call it time fluctuations right sometimes it's it's you know the time feel of somebody can be a little bit different from somebody again this is something that i talked about about ray brown he liked to play on top of the beat to drive the band forward and that kind of drove some drummers not crazy but it, it gave them it's, they started second-guessing themselves, especially once Ray Brown had a, a, a very prominent name. People were like, well, this is the Ray Brown. He can't be wrong, can he? You know, but the drummers felt like he was ahead and he was ahead of the beat. He did that purposely. So this brings me to the point, time is an agreement. You have to agree on the time. You know, inevitably, you're going to find yourselves in situations where you know, you, you're feeling the time slightly different, but let's say that as a bass player, I say, okay, I, this is where the time is. And the drummer's doing the same thing and we're not agreeing on it. It's going to be hell for everybody involved. So don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to your bandmates. It's better to kind of just agree on it. 
agree to disagree, <laughs> well, no, don't agree to disagree, agree on something, find a common ground where you guys are both, both going to be happy doing this, you know, after the gig, if you don't want to ever play together again, that's okay, but I actually would say, talk to people, talk to people about those things, They're like, hey, man, you know, I felt, I felt like things were kind of weird in this section, you know, was I dragging, you know, Oh, you know, or whatever, you know, you never know. Sometimes people may not be hearing you. Okay. Sometimes they may be second guessing certain things. Sometimes they may not know the tune that well. So they may need you to kind of take charge. And if you take charge and they follow you, great. But if things are not quite happening, you know, this is just something that you learn to deal with as you go. So that being said, organic time fluctuations are okay as long as the band is together. So it's the same idea. Once you agree on the time, the time's not going to stay solid. The time is going to, I mean, it is going to feel solid. It needs to feel solid. But if you put a click to it, you may realize that, oh, okay, it's rushing a little bit on the choruses because there's excitement. That's okay. You know, in some pop records, when everything was recorded perfectly, what they would do sometimes in order to create that excitement is actually speed up the, back in the days of tape, um, they would speed it up in order to kind of give it, that sense of urgency of that sense of like okay something exciting is happening so that's okay that's completely natural you know i i would say there's actually a cool app by um wayne Krantz. it's called the uh, uh humanome uh which is a metronome that fluctuates it's not a perfect metronome it actually fluctuates because he says the reality is that every musician has a way to that their time fluctuates so you gotta have to find a way to follow that time. You gotta have to find a way to always be locked in, even if things are not quite to the grid, right? The grid, you know, that's a big thing in music that it's, has become kind of a pain, to be honest, you know, not to be opinionated about it, but you know, like every pop record we hear on the radio and it's, and, and some jazz records, to be honest, you know, they're recorded to a click which is okay you know there's there's all the reasons for using a click using a click doesn't always mean that you have bad time sometimes it just has to do with production with uh, overdubs or doing stuff like that so i'm not putting it down but a lot of times people like to line up stuff artificially to the grid and you know that has its consequences i'm not going to get into that but Last thing on this, be proactive, not reactive. This is my great, uh, great trombone player and teacher at USF, um, Tom Brantley, told me this. When I was first playing with a big band, my first experience with a big band was at USF, and he told me this. He said, hey, be proactive, not reactive, because I was dragging the band down because I was just trying to catch up with the reading. I wasn't a very good reader. And honestly, I was second guessing myself consistently, which I'll talk about self-confidence in a minute. But he told me that be proactive, which means drive forward no matter what. Don't be reactive. So what I was doing is that if I heard that I missed a rhythm, I would react to the rhythm. Of course, there is a time delay where <laughs> I hear the rhythm, then I try to play the rhythm. And you know, I'm not going to be quite on because I'm reacting to the rhythm instead of driving the band, If there, instead of being right on the rhythm. if you, It's better to miss the rhythm than trying to get on a train that's already left. So um, 
Now, being reactive is not necessarily a bad thing. I'll talk about that. That goes along with the interaction, um, which is perfect segue, kind of. Uh, so how to interact without abandoning our role? Okay, so this is a tricky thing because when we get hired as base players, base players, a lot of people expect the same from base players, but I think there are people that are more open to a base player being more active beyond their role. And then there's people that expect you to just be that accompanying instrument, almost like a background instrument, like more felt than heard. And that's perfectly fine. Being able to live inside those two worlds is good. And this, I wanted to kind of break this down a little bit. So how to interact without abandoning that role, whatever role is being, um, whatever role are you, you're being called to play, which is usually the base in its, let's call it its modern traditional role. <laughs> um, so let's start with something very simple, call and response, right? You can get a very simple idea of you know, I don't, I can't hear you doing this back, but you know, if I would clap, you would probably clap back, right? That's a call and a response. You know, that's the most simple thing. The blue, a lot of blues is based on that. A lot of um, musical styles are, are, are kind of made around this. And, and that's a, the easiest way to interact. Somebody plays a phrase, and you react to it. Uh, this is one of the important things um, in jazz, really, to know that repertoire. Sometimes you hear somebody playing something and they'll quote a song. And let's say that they play a lick from South Peanuts by, um, you know, Dizzy Gillespie. Many times I've been in that situation where somebody plays that and then the band catches on they all even if we're playing a completely unrelated song and we'll all play papada papada because it's kind of a, 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 a it, it's it's a quote it's a jazzism <laughs> if you will you know but you gotta know what that is you know if you don't know what that is well you know you you're gonna be like how did you guys were how were you guys able to play that um and this happens much more often than you think there's a lot of little nuances when people are playing phrases soloing that you can catch, you know, be it a quote from a song, be it a, a, a lick that's used in jazz a lot, that kind of prompt a response. Let's say you're a sax player playing that lick, that'll prompt a response from the rhythm section. That's a really good way to actually get a whole rhythm section to interact. Um, so the bass player can be part of that interaction as well. You know, again, the important, assuming you're keeping time really well, um, punctuating beginnings and or endings of phrases. When you think about um, space, that's where a lot of stuff happens, specifically the endings of phrases. So if there's a space for you to do a fill or to do, again, just kind of like a response, that's a good place to do it. Now, sometimes like in, in Brazilian music, you can have certain rhythms that actually happen at the beginnings of phrases, just because of the, of the way the music is phrased sometimes. So, um, you know, there's certain, there's certain rhythmic elements that you can play, you know, of course, you kind of have to be aware of what's going on. Um, but endings of phrases are good places where space happens. 
So that's a good place if you want to say a little something, that's a good place to do it. Now, what can be tricky is that everybody in the band may be wanting to say that something. So, you know, kind of feel around to see who's going to say what when, you know. Um, and if they don't want to leave your space, well, you know, <laughs> that's what happens sometimes. But the, uh, one of, that's one of the cool things about the bass, that you're in the lower register. And, you know, if you do it tastefully, you're not going to get on everybody's on anybody's really um way if you do it tastefully again um another thing listen for events within the melody i'm going to play a quick example of what i mean by this uh doxy by um uh sonny rollins so listen to this a little bit <laughs> So that's a quick example of a melody that's actually fairly rhythmic, has a lot of space in it. Uh, that's why I wanted to point it out, because those are places where you could do, you know, a little triplet fill or stuff like that. Listen to Ray Brown again for, for very tasteful fills in those spaces. Of course, you would kind of have to know the tune again, emphasizing that part. Um, but there's the bridge. Ba, ba, ba. That's kind of an event that happens on the tune. It's kind of a signature of the tune. So you can play with that with with that. So you can either choose to play with those hits or kind of play in between those hits. Right? You can do something like that. You know, assuming <laughs> I'm assuming you understood that that's the bass um but that's little things like that you can listen for in the melody uh, as an idea of of place good places that's why i call it an event it's something that kind of happens that's ingrained in the song and everybody's going to be kind of playing around whether it's with it or responding to it again going back to the call and response Fill in those gaps is cool sometimes, you know. And when a band is improvising, when a soloist is improvising and you're playing over a specific form, hopefully everybody will still have that melody in their head. So a lot of the times they're going to make phrasing choices that are still based on the melody, even if they're not playing the melody. You know, there's arrival points, there's events that happen within a melody, be it, be it rhythmically or harmonically, that kind of lead you there. There's, you know, kind of, that's why it's important to kind of know the, know the song and also listen to a bunch of different recordings from this, from the same song, see what the common thread is and what you can do with that. Um, another cool thing to do sometimes, especially in like bebop songs that have like a busier, um, melody is to play along, uh, with the lead instrument to create a different texture. Um, I like doing this sometimes on like the last A section of, let's say, confirmation. Um, it's a cool, 
it's it's kind of a really cool thing to to it's it creates a nice texture where you have a notey melody a, a melody has a lot of notes and all of a sudden the bass kind of joins that and all because it changes the the you know you're kind of abandoning that role for a second but you know you're picking a specific place where you where it's going to make an impact a positive impact within the song you know provided you play it with the same phrasing that everybody else is playing it you know so kind of listen for the phrasing that everybody that people that the lead instrument is using before kind of jumping in and being all over the place in terms of that um so again listening listening across is very important for stuff like this kind of learn to to check out some of the tendencies that other musicians have on the stage imitate responsibly <laughs> what i mean by this um is imitation is good <clears throat> so if somebody plays a rhythm um you know let's say that you're playing swing and somebody um plays like a you know something like that like some triplets on top of that you know i'm just kind of coming up with some event that may be contrasting to what's going on underneath um you can imitate that but think that sometimes the soloist is playing that in order to create contrast with what you're already playing meaning sometimes he just wants you to hold it down you know he wants to play the triplets because it's his solo and he wants to express it that way so maybe it's not a good idea to just imitate everything maybe just think of a response to that which doesn't necessarily have to be just imitating what he just said you know it's kind of like somebody telling a joke and then do you respond with the same joke <laughs> if you have something funny to say about the joke you say something kind of related to it or something like that but you don't necessarily just repeat the joke and a lot of times just like don't kind of explain the joke that unless somebody needs explanation don't explain the joke after somebody already told a joke it just kind of ruins the timing it ruins the whole the whole idea you know it's all about timing again you know so i'm bringing comedy into this but 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 it's part of that uh so think about those little things like that so imitate responsibly imitation is fine just don't overdo it uh this goes along with this make wise choices where there's a lot going on rhythmically a lot of the times I hear piano players and drummers kind of like just going crazy with like some rhythmic thing. Like they'll catch onto like a, what they call a hemiola, which is a, like a rhythm uh, or, or like a polyrhythm, you know, where you're really creating this tension over the 4-4 four four or whatever other foundational rhythm you're playing. And sometimes if I decide to go with them, we're all going to fall apart. So at that point, I think, okay, should I be the one? It kind of goes along with what I said about the soloist playing a rhythmic pattern. Do you want me to play that? Should I join them on that or should I hold it down so that when they come out of that, first of all, you're providing a good context, you're keeping the context, and then you're providing a good foundation for them to come out into that. So, 
you know, that's that's something to think about, you know, if, if things are kind of falling apart. And sometimes, you know, because if it's something that happens in the moment, you don't want to be, you know, they may be rushing through it or something like that. So you might want to just keep it simple at that moment. You might, it might be, you'll, maybe you'll get your chance to do your thing, but be aware that you may need to keep it simple. You know, again, that's not, that's not a rule of thumb. That's not, you can't move or anything. And this goes with this, how much is too much? You know, what, to what extent should you be um, interacting too much? You know, read the room, read, read what people are, you know, some, sometimes you may get a dirty look <laughs> from the piano player because you're playing too much. Um, and that's okay, you know, be aware. I think be really being aware of everything going on around is extremely important to understanding how to interact. So this brings me to our conclusions, which I'll talk about a little bit to kind of reinforce a couple of those things. So communication is key, not only on the stage, but off the stage. It's okay if there was if there was a train wreck of a song or something that almost happened that you feel you need to talk to somebody about. And by talking to somebody, I don't mean go yell at somebody, just be like, Hey, man, what happened on that tune? You know, I've had that where somebody, somebody solo, somebody skipped an A section or something like that by accident. They said like, Hey, man, did I, did I skip that A section? Like, oh, yeah, I think, I think you did. Oh, sorry about that. No, no problem. You know, we're playing together. Be confident, but be humble. Um, so be confident in what you're doing, but you are human and you're going to make mistakes and we all have lots of stuff to learn. Uh, so being humble and understanding that is good. Don't let that become self-deprecation either. You know, I think it's very important to be confident. You practice, you go on a stage and you try your personal best. You know, if you're being mediocre because you're choosing to be mediocre, maybe you should not be on that stage, but give your personal best and, but be humble about it. Make notes on what you could improve. I used to, when I, I still like to do this, is which is record any gig that I'm on, you know, with just even with my phone, so I can listen back and be like, okay, I have this tendency, you know, I'm, I'm rushing these things, I'm doing this, I'm not outlining these chords very well. It's that's how we grow. Um, be a good listener. I can't stress that enough. I mean, this this applies to everything i mentioned earlier on um to listen to everybody uh, john clayton said this you know listen to everybody but yourself and it's true you i mean obviously you should be listening for your intonation and all that stuff you're playing upright bass but you shouldn't be sitting there being like oh my licks are so cool <laughs> you should be really listening to what everybody else is playing so that you can be complimentary you can be a good team player Right. So being a team player means that you're in this together. So if you're on a stage and you feel like, well, this other guy sucks, you know, I'm here, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to, you know, just let him drown over there by himself. Uh, you know, it, it's difficult because that's going to make the whole band sound bad. You know, you could you try to help people, you know, if, if they're a more inexperienced player or somebody that's having a rough night with a song or, or whatever's maybe going on, I think being a team player and making people feel comfortable on stage is very important. Whether that person having a rough time is you or 
whatever it is, you know, uh, I think being self aware is good, but but don't don't be talking to yourself the entire time. I, this goes back to the being confident thing. Shut that little voice, you know, perform, let the music. This sounds it's kind of the cheesy thing to say, but it's true. Let the music flow through you, you know, be in the moment and be enjoying the music, make music first and foremost. And you are playing with a band, you are part of the band and you need to keep that in mind. Um, be flexible, meaning this goes along with agreeing on the tempo, on the time, agreeing on, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll find somebody will skip an A section, like I mentioned earlier. Well, you may have to just say, okay, we're going to the bridge an A section early or, you know, eight bars early. So that's going to happen. That's just going to happen. It's happened. You can listen to famous recordings from the master musicians and somebody messes up inevitably. That's going to happen. So be ready to go with them. You know, it may be a singer that comes in early because they got lost during the solos. It may be, uh, you know, somebody that got lost during the drum solo and didn't come in at the right time. You have to kind of be able to look at each other and say like, okay, you know, and look for physical cues, you know, see what, what, um, see what, what people are expressing on the stage. You know, I think that's a very important thing to think about, you know, read the room, read, read the bandstand too, you know, and listen for oral clues. Sometimes, uh, the drummer may play something like, okay, here's the beginning of an A section or something like that, or we're going to grow into this, or here comes an ending. Be really aware of those things. Um, follow the leader. If somebody hires you for the gig and is paying you, <laughs> you're pretty much going to do what they tell you to do. That's just sometimes that may not be the best thing that that's not how you want to play the gig, but that's how what's going to happen. You are being hired. If you're a hired gun and you go to a gig and the leader says, Hey, here's what happens. Here's, or here's how I want you to play. If they express that, do it. You know, I've had occasions where, you know, the leader didn't say anything. Um, and honestly, I was kind of second guessing him, like, oh, was he happy? Was what was going on? I've had occasions with the leader after the gig told me like, hey, you should play more like this. And like, okay, well, that would have been helpful to know after the first set. <laughs> so I could do that more. So again, communication is key. You know, it's okay to talk to each other. We are humans. And there's what my wife, who's a nurse, talks therapeutic ways of talking about it. Uh, which is, you know, not pointing fingers saying you suck or you did this wrong, but being, hey, we're a team. Let's figure this out. Um, and most importantly of all of this, learn from the source to absorb the musical language. I mentioned earlier, jazz has a long tradition. A lot of different styles have come from jazz and there's a lot of variations of jazz, if you will but there is a musical language that's unique to the style of the music and i think it's it's really important to i mean and this doesn't just go for jazz really if you're playing r&b or if you're playing you know rock there's unique things to those styles that are part of the music just like there's repertoire that applies to that there's rhythmic concepts there's harmonic concepts there's melodic concepts that go along with that tradition. 
uh, doesn't mean you always have to play the tradition, but understanding the tradition is what's going to allow you to break new ground, if you will, if the gig calls to break new ground. A good example, I mentioned uh, Scott LaFaro earlier, who really abandoned that role of the traditional bass, and he really became a highly interactive melodic instrument along with the piano. But that was a concept that was being explored by Bill Evans in his trio, and he really pushed that, and he really kind of changed um, a lot of things and how bass players um, approach things because he was able to do that so efficiently and effectively. So I think always look for your sound, but I've said this a few times, read the room, you know, make sure you're in the right place to do what it is that you want to do. So that's pretty much what I have for this. I, I hope you found uh, all of this stuff helpful. I know I would have liked to hear a lot of this before getting on a stage for the first time. Uh, so, you know, go over it, kind of check out, you know, always listen to the music. That's, that's the key, whatever style you're doing, always be listening, be listening across the stage, listen to your bandmates, listen to everything that's going on. Open ears will make you a very, 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 very valuable bass player and musician in general. So. Awesome. Awesome. So many great nuggets you dropped today, Alejandro. Um, and the word I keep hearing you say over and over and over again is listen. Yep. <laughs> and it seems like with this music, that is like the key focus point of everything. Just listening. Um, you know, some of the great things, uh, and we had a couple questions come in, you know, mm -hmm. we hear about time is an agreement. My goodness. <laughs> You know, on on different gigs where you know you you're meeting up with different musicians, maybe someone you've never played before. Um, how difficult has that been for you sometimes? And do you have any good, bad, and ugly stories where you play with something brand new, with somebody brand new, and uh, just time wasn't there? Did you have to take over the situation as a bass player? Because uh, you did say the, the bass is driving the band. Or did you kind of sit back and assess the situation and jump in? You know, I've been on both sides of the coin. You know, I, I, I remember one of my first, I think it was my first jazz gig. It was this, uh, it was a trio, drummerless trio. And I remember the sax player, um, it was sax, guitar, and bass, and the guitar player also sang. So he was struggling a little bit with his own time, the guitar player, because he was trying to do like jazz comping, which is not just a pattern and sing. So jazz phrasing. So that's not easy to do, especially without the drums and a bass player who had just bought an upright bass. and had no idea how to play it, <laughs> which was me. Um, but they were cool with me kind of learning on the bandstand. Um, my ears were stronger than 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 I knew at that moment. But I remember the sax player after maybe the third gig, he's like, hey, man, you know, don't worry too much about the right notes, you know, worry more about the time, don't let that time slip at all, kind of like what I mentioned earlier. And, you know, honestly, I was kind of like bombed because I'm like, oh, man, I thought I was playing well, you know, and 
okay, I followed his advice. The second said I did that. I said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the wrong changes. Because, you know, I mean, no, I didn't do it like that. But, you know, it was one of those situations where he was very happy. He's like, man, yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. You know, don't worry. Basically, kind of the message was like, this is not the time to be ultra hip and uh, <laughs> and abandon what's going on here. We need help, you know. Um, so that that helped, you know. That 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 was the first encounter I had. So I, and I remember I went home and I just put the metronome on that night after the gig and realized I was just really not playing with very good time. I was not being very solid, you know. Part of that was that I had just started playing the upright bass. Um, yeah, so I worked. I wor I started working consciously on developing better time, um, you know, with a metronome and, and and different things, playing along with recordings, and um, then you know, and I have found myself in situations where you know where I'm not agreeing on the time with with a drummer, for example. Usually it happens with drummers. You know, that's who you have to lock in mostly with. And yes, I mean, there's some gigs that have been long <laughs> uh because of that because I'm, I'm just not finding any common ground you know and, and uh, you know i can have the tendency to sometimes of not if, if if it's somebody new i can get a little shy and not not looking over the drama and be like hey man i think we both know what's happening let's fix this you know I, that's something that i've learned to do be like okay you know let's let's uh, you're feeling this different than I am. Let's let's find some common ground. Now, sometimes, and and I, I I will say this, and this is not to knock drummers down, but there are drummers that are drummers, and there are musicians that are drummers. What I mean by that is that there are drummers that I mentioned in one of the things that there's I've had drummers that are calling chord changes out to me. Um, they know the tunes beyond what the drums are playing. Um, and I think that's a very important thing for drummers to understand that you need to understand the tune as a whole, you know, okay, you got to at least be able to sing the melody, you know, um, to know what, what it is that you're playing over, you know, with the drums, you don't have to worry about the notes, you know, because you're not playing any chord changes or, or melodies, but if you, you know, my, my concept or you know i think the way we should be playing is around the melody constantly because you know if, if you think about it if you don't play around the melody any tune is just it just becomes a set of chord changes you know so i'm not saying that you have to be quoting the melody constantly but there are things kind of like what i mentioned about doxy and all that there are things that you find inside the tunes that are going to inform your improvisational decisions and if somebody is not really hip to that then it's going to be hard to find that common ground you know just as simple as trying to hit, do a hit on the anna four or beat four if you're not together on that that may already kind of start driving things you know the wrong way uh because you know i may be listening to for him to do the hit on the anna four and then he hits it on four and then i'm like oh did i just you know did i drag did i rush what happened there you know it can be like that so i I've become much more self-confident of, of trusting my time. Um, again, if I hear a drummer that's kind of like insisting, you know, with with my great friend Mark Feynman, you know, co-leader or co-co bandmate <laughs> or bandmate of La Lucha, 
we from the very beginning we locked in you know we we had we had this this a very special connection uh, musically and but we know we know when something's feeling funky not in a good way and we'll look at each other and we'll like you know i'll give him the stink eye sometimes like not the stink eye but you know i'll give him a look like hey gotta gotta get back up there and he'll do the same thing for me it's like hey man you you kind of got off after those you know after that solely or whatever you know and and it's cool you know we're both open to finding that agreement and again sometimes that has to do with personality too some drummers or some musicians are not willing to let go of that i've played with piano players who love to just if i throw a chord substitution at them they're like yeah let's go there you know here's another one check this out and then we're playing like this game where we're just having fun with substitutions and stuff like that and i've played with piano players who are like don't you dare do that again you know i mean they will they may not say it but with their playing they say this is the way i want the song and this is the way we're gonna play it so that comes with experience and being aware of those things you know but i think it's also good to ask sometimes and, and you know it goes again i know i started talking about chord changes there but it it's kind of the same thing with the time you know so okay well you gave us a great <laughs> example i always like hearing you know what did you do in this type of situation you explained that awesome um you know we had a question about what type of crowds you like playing in you did explain knowing the room looking around the room uh, imitating responsibly. Uh, of course, we love hearing musicians interact on stage without mm -hmm. even talking. Um, briefly, could you tell us what's your favorite crowd to play in front of? Man, you know... Musician crowd or people that just love music? Because those are two different crowds. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think people that just love music. I, to be honest, uh, the more... I'm always very surprised by people that don't know anything about music and they love listening to jazz because that means they're getting what the music is about. They're getting the, the energy. You know, I think there's a lot of listeners that listen, like a lot of musicians that listen to jazz because it's a high level of playing because, you know, it's kind of, you know, I hate to put it this way, but sometimes it kind of becomes like a, a music nerd type of situation where you're like, Oh, I'm going to go see this guy because he plays ultra triads over blah, 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 blah. It can become some of those things, you know. But um, I think some of it, um, you know, I just love crowds that are into the music, that are willing to open up to listening to what's going on on the stage and that, that feed off of the energy and give some of the energy back. Uh, that I think that's my favorite crowd when you when you when you get energy back from the crowd it doesn't have to be a rowdy crowd but it, it's just somebody that lets you know that they're there you know that they're, that they're enjoying what you're doing and again it doesn't have to be a standing ovation or anything like that but even just somebody you know doing a little woo in between solos or something like that that, that kind of like acknowledges what's happening it's, it's pretty cool and some sometimes that crowd can be musicians too you know we're we you know that's the great thing that we we at that point we we become listeners and and we appreciate what's going on 
on the stage, you know, we kind of like know the little secrets. We's like, oh, I, I know that quote. I know that little thing, which is awesome. You know, I love doing that too as a, as a you know, I love being a music nerd <laughs> as much as I love being just a lay person listener sometimes. Sometimes I just want to just absorb the energy, the bigger picture of, of it. So uh, I think just in general, like it doesn't matter, you know, smaller crowds tend to be easier to read in that sense because you know what's kind of what's happening um you can hear it better you know but uh, yeah i think any any appreciative crowd uh you know it doesn't have to be a a, a kid jared type of situation where everybody nobody can cough uh you know they, they want to talk they want to comment about the thing that's okay with me you know but as long as they are into the music i think that's i love doing playing for that crowd Awesome. Awesome. So we all look forward to hearing more music out in the community. Don't forget to support our local artists and just all artists in general um, with these live performances. You know, we thank you, Alejandro, for this great session today about listening across the band. I mean, listening across the stage and from a bass player's perspective and whether you're a beginner musician or you're a seasoned musician, I think we all took something from this uh, session that we can apply and uh, we can revisit to think, how can I make myself better as a musician and a listener? So we thank you for that. And we just want to remind everyone, you know, keep inviting people out to hear the great things that's happening here with the Clearwater Jazz Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. And don't forget, if you like what you hear or if you have any kind of uh, feedback you can give us, email us over there at info at clearwaterjazz.com and uh, check out our sessions that are coming up very soon. It's going to be some great ones. And you can always check that out at www.clearwaterjazz.com slash education. And we will see you on the next one. Keep swinging, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Thank you to our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to present this podcast series. To learn more about the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Annual Festival tradition, other special events throughout the year, and our year-round education and outreach, please visit clearwaterjazz.com.